when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Harris, they don't talk. Is that something you just ignore? Yeah. Yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired, and the next week you're going to take another job. And I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And so, yes, to answer your question, our purpose is to win. Make no mistake about it. But it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt. Uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. We got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Breton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And we got a little bit of a solo pod here, but it's not completely solo. I got a great guest lined up. Got Steven Lassen of Athlon Sports. Going to hop on the line in just a minute here. Break down the 2020 Athlon Sports SEC previews. Hitting Steven up with a wide range of topics. Shane had the, the, the day off. Thoughts and prayers to Shane out there. He finally had to go back to work after all this coronavirus. (laughs) Shane just went to work on Wednesday. He couldn't man enough. He wasn't man enough to hop on here. Just too much of a grueling task for our Tennessee homer, cousin Shane. Not a ton of news around the SEC. Uh, I do want to make this note, though. The NCAA, right before we hopped on here, They announced that the dead period in recruiting has been extended through the month of July. So what that means, essentially, no visiting prospects on campus. You can't host a prospect on campus. Now, prospects can come to campus, but they cannot meet with the coaching staff at any point or toward the facility, anything like that. You can't stop a prospect from visiting your campus. And then, of course, coaches cannot hit the road to evaluate prospects now, they can still talk to them on the phone and Skype and Zoom and all this. They can still take commitments. So nothing really changing from how it's been since all this coronavirus hit. But it really does put a dent in uh, you know some of these face-to-face relationships that these coaches can have with the recruits. Already seeing some people speculate that you know they should maybe do away with the early signing period this year because... We're really not going to have recruiting here until August when we got camp ramping up. I don't know if that's really a smart idea. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't be totally opposed to it. I would understand if they made that rule, but or if they made that decision. But there's two signing periods for a reason, you know. If these kids are committed, the coaches are firm in their belief that they've got the right kids, you know, committed to their program. They'll accept their signatures. I would imagine on an early signing period. So it'll be. Pretty interesting to see what they do with that. I personally don't think they're going to change that, but we'll see. One other thing I wanted to hit on before we got to uh, our interview here with Stephen Lassen. I thought this was a really good interview here with uh, Arkansas head coach Sam Pittman talking about his players and how obviously they're not 
allowed to monitor their workouts while they're away from campus? How are these guys staying in shape? What shape are the coaching staff in Fayetteville expecting their players to come in? And I think this is going to be a sentiment that around the league is going to be anticipated, but it's a lot harder with a first-year coach because you just don't have those relationships, pre-existing relationships built up with your players. You're working with new new guys that you've just met. Some of them, you just met them here in December. So, And then <laughs> you didn't even get a camp with them before everyone had to go home. So I just thought this was a pretty interesting insight and shows once again that uh, Sam Pittman, I think he's going to be a hell of an ambassador there for the Arkansas program. I want to ask you one right now, and, and it's it, it's a good question. How do your players stay in shape with everything that's been closed down when they reassemble? Uh, how do you how do you deal with all of that? Well, you give them three different options. You know, you give them an option with with weights, an option without without weights, and then we we uh, send them stretch bands, um, uh, uh, resistant bands. So we've given them three different workouts uh, as far as the strength part goes on. One as far as the running uh, part goes, and the the key word here is trust. I mean, you have to trust that your players are doing what you're asking them to do, and if they're coming from an environment that they're proud of, an environment they like, I think they're going to work out, and you're not going to have to micromanage them. Uh, we trust our players. Uh, we can't get video back from them or anything like that. Are you working out? We can't do that. Uh, so we choose to trust and uh, we think, you know, our big thing is why can't you come back in better shape than if you were here? Uh, if you're really driven, if you're a self-motivator, you're going to come back in as quality of shape as you possibly can. We choose to trust, trust that our players are going to do that. So you get a sense there. I mean, it's all about trust. That's what it really is. When these coaches are going to find out soon enough which players return that trust and actually did what they were supposed to be doing because if they didn't, all we're going to find out here pretty quick. And, you know, one other thing that uh, was not mentioned there, obviously we know by now if you listen to the show, June 8th, Monday, June 8th, the players are going to be back on campus and in working out and, and doing all that good stuff, getting us closer to the season. But I do want to note that, uh, you know, it's not like these players are going to show up day one June 8th and get ready to go. My understanding is most of these players are anticipated June 1st and then they're going to have about seven days of quarantine and then we'll get into the physical activities and what all and all the players will be tested or evaluated however you want to say it. Different schools are different are doing it different ways so it's not across the board everyone's getting a COVID test or what have you so everyone's handling it a little bit differently and we'll just see how this all plays out but uh it's going to be pretty interesting to see how it all shakes out. All right, so that's enough spieling from me here. Let's get to our guest, Stephen Lassen of Athlon Sports. Really kind of him to jump on the show, and uh, he spent a, quite a bit of time here with me. I asked him just about everything I could think of after reading the Athlon Sports College Football Preview Magazine for the 2020 season. All right, we're pleased now to be joined by Stephen Lassen, college football editor for AthlonSports.com. And, of course, the College Football Preview Magazine. He's at AthlonSteven on Twitter. Steven, thanks so much for joining us. We really do appreciate it. Hey, Mike. It's great to be back on the podcast. Great to be talking about the upcoming season. 
and uh, you know the magazines on the newsstand. So it's an exciting time. Looking for some optimism to get this season going and get it going on time. Absolutely, and you know I got mine online. So before we get you know rolling here with the SEC talk, can you tell the listeners you know maybe if they can't find the magazine at their bookstore or grocery store or what have you, how can they get the magazine online? Yeah, you know the fact that you already have the magazine and some others have already tweeted at me saying they picked up the magazine, you can actually order it online right now, athlonsports.com. At the very top, there's a buy your magazine link up there. It takes you directly to our store. You can order the SEC and the national edition there, several different covers to choose from. But if you order online right now, the on sale date is actually June 2nd. So if you order now, you can actually probably get it before then. Um, and we are, are also planning to have a digital edition available as well. It's not in the store right now, but it will be soon. So if you like the digital version, we'll have it soon. If you order online, and you, if you want to order online and you can't get to the the on the book stand on, on stores, that's the best place to get it, athlonsports.com. And the thing I really like about that, of course, you get to pick your covers that way too. You just never know what you're going to get at the store. So a little added bonus for going to the online route. But um, enough talk about the magazine. Steven, I want to really get into your SEC predictions in the 2020 Athlon Sports College Football Preview Magazine. Number one in the SEC East. Not a surprise to me because I'm leaning this way already, but Athlon Sports has got the Florida Gators number one in the SEC East. A lot of Georgia fans I'm already seeing are pretty upset over that. So why did Athlon go with Florida over Georgia, who you got number two in the SEC East? It was really difficult. It, it was probably our most difficult prediction among conference predictions this year, if that makes sense. You know, once we get into the national, it gets easier because you know your conference predictions. But we spent a lot of time debating Florida versus Georgia. I think the argument for Georgia is just that they've accumulated so much talent under Kirby Smart the last couple of years. Four and five stars, they are outpacing Florida. The, they've also won three in a row um, against Florida, so they've dominated the series in recent memory. I also think the defense for Georgia is probably the best in college football, allowed less than 13 points a game last year. But there are also question marks. I think they have, you know, of course, they have to go on the road to Alabama and then the big showdown in Jacksonville, which will probably decide the SEC East title. But if they lose to Alabama, they have no wiggle room the rest of the way to be able to kind of keep it one loss and then win the SEC East championship. They've got to be Florida, but if they lose to Alabama, there's no wiggle room. I think the argument for Florida is the thing that's the biggest question mark for Georgia. Florida has continuity. They've got Dan Mullen, Kyle Trask. They've got four starters back, plus a key transfer on the offensive line. Sure, the offensive line is still not great. It needs to be better. But I just think with Dan Mullen and Kyle Trask and that continuity with Georgia's question marks on offense, plus I like Florida's crossover advantage in scheduling. Getting LSU at home I think is a plus one compared to we have Georgia losing to Alabama in our prediction. So it was really close, but we looked at continuity for Florida 
And we also like the crossover schedule uh, for Florida a little bit better. So really small gaps between these two teams. I think they're both top five to 10, but we gave the edge to Florida largely because we know what we're getting out of the quarterback position and the offense right now. And especially without spring practice, we're just not sure what to expect out of Georgia's offense this year. Very talented, but certainly question marks. Now, number three in the SEC East, you got Tennessee. Very hot team, won six in a row to close out last season and seven of their last eight. But in the Athlon sports, which I really like that you guys do this. You don't just throw out you know, a preseason top 25. It's more of a projected top 25. What you guys project the final rankings to be at the end of the season and Tennessee's not listed in that. They're just outside at number 26. Is that a product of the difficult schedule, or do you guys just not see Jeremy Pruitt's program as top 25 caliber at this point? They were very close to making it. You know, once you get into that 25, 20 through 35 kind of window, those teams are all really close together and they're kind of bunched in, in essentially, you know, if, if we were thinking about this as like a, a, a number grade, you know, they would all be like 85 or something, you know, they're all really close. I think the two things for, to watch for, for Tennessee is quarterback play. You know, does, can Tennessee get more consistency at that position? And it does it come in the form of, you know, one of the guys on the roster is it Harrison Bailey? Uh, Tennessee needs to be better at that position in order to beat the Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Oklahoma slate on its schedule. We had them losing those four games uh, in our projection. So, you know, if, if you assume that Tennessee loses those four games, they could still be a top 25 team, but it also doesn't leave them much room for error. I like the direction of this program. The recruiting's going well. I think the way that this program rebounded after a slow start last year, I think it shows the coaching ability of Jeremy Pruitt. Love the offensive line, too. I think this is one of the top five to ten offensive lines in college football. But they're just outside of it. Quarterback and schedule largely kept them out uh, of our top 25 this year. Now, number four in the SEC East, you got Kentucky. Number five, South Carolina. Number six, Missouri. And based on Athlon's projected records, we're talking, you know, very minimal difference. Seven and five Kentucky, six and six South Carolina, five and seven Missouri. To you, how close are those three teams gapped together in the SEC East? And um, I mean, are you rock solid with those picks or could you see them kind of mixed up a little bit? You know, I think the first thing that jumps out to me is South Carolina's schedule is very difficult in the crossover. I could see Missouri jumping ahead of South Carolina just because of schedule. Um, I think South Carolina on paper is a better team, but both of these teams have question marks. I mean, South Carolina, I like the hire of Mike Bobo as offensive coordinator, but they also have quarterback question marks. They're going to need a true freshman to, to step up at running back. And, you know, of course that this is just, you know, they were four and eight last year. So, you know, I think both of these teams, South Carolina and Missouri, are kind of closer together. I actually think Kentucky, who we have at four, and we have them in, you know, just outside the top 30, is a decent gap ahead of those two. Um, starting with Kentucky, it just it feels like Mark Stoops has raised the floor for this program. You know, it, it's no longer that if they win nine games, they're going to regress to five. It, it sort of feels like they've settled in 
as a seven or eight, nine win team every year. Our biggest question mark with this team was, you know, they, they have to play the road game against Auburn. And can they get Terry Wilson to step up as a passer this year? We know they can run the ball. Their offensive line's outstanding. Deep group of running backs. Defense should be solid. But they need Terry Wilson to step up as a passer and really start to realize some of that potential that he showed before he was hurt last year. So I think Kentucky's closer to the top 25. I think South Carolina and Missouri are probably closer to the, to the 50 mark. I think both of those programs have work to do, whereas I could see Kentucky finishing in the top 25 to 30 this year. Now, of course, you got Vanderbilt last in the SEC East, not winning a game in conference play. Is there any hope for Derek Mason's squad, or is it just kind of – I mean, it, I can't imagine it's a promising offseason when you got to replace both coordinators and then we didn't have a spring – football so did that factor into your decision there at all it really did you know that's one of the things with georgia versus florida that we weighed especially in arguments and in, in debates that were close the lack of spring practice but on vanderbilt specifically you know they their quarterback depth chart was just depleted from last season and it's either going to be a freshman or a junior college transfer getting the start uh with a new offensive coordinator and not to mention Keyshawn Vaughn is gone, Lipscomb, uh, Pinckney. They've got a lot of skill talent to replace. It, it just looks like such a heavy uh, you know, weight that's on this team. It's hard to find a lot of optimism for 2020. If, if Vanderbilt wins two games in the SEC this year, it would probably be a good season. We've got them winless in the SEC, but it's hard to find one win for this team in SEC play. Just too many questions. A lot of guys back on defense, so maybe there's some optimism there, but the offense is just too littered with questions right now. Now, Athlon also has a section, Coach Hot Seat, and you got Derek Mason at number three, Will Muschamp at number four. So I wanted to tie this together with Athlon's official projections here. If South Carolina finishes fifth in the SEC East and Vanderbilt finishes seventh, as Athlon predicts, do you see either of those coaches returning for 2021? You know, I think the big question with the coaching carousel this year is what does the budget cuts, the shutdowns uh, in the spring, no basketball tournament, what does that do to, you know, athletic directors who are looking to make a change? Because it, it could be pretty pricey to buy out some coaches. If South Carolina gets to six and six and they have all these new pieces on offense, I think Will Muschamp will be back next year. I think Derek Mason is in a little bit more trouble because, you know, certainly he's 10 and 38 in the SEC in his tenure. He's also going to have a new athletic director this season too. So another three and nine season where they don't win a game in SEC play, I think Vanderbilt would probably be forced to make a coaching change at that point. If, if they play well and they finish 4-8, and eight, and maybe they win two games in the SEC, I could see him coming back. But I, I still think that's a lot to ask uh, this Vanderbilt team in 2020. Yeah, I like to joke that uh, South Carolina couldn't afford to buy out Muschamp before coronavirus. I, I don't think they can do it after it either. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's a question because you also think nationally, you know, what about USC, what about Texas? I mean, if – if programs across the country are cutting budgets and cutting sports and asking coaches to take pay cuts, 
it's really hard to envision them being having the appetite to make a coaching change. And, you know, the, the environment could be a lot different come November. But if Will Muschamp gets the six and six and they go to a bowl game, I think you could reasonably sell that as, yeah, we can bring him back next year, especially with some of the young pieces. So it, it, it's an, another variable to consider in a, in a very volatile sport as usual. All right, jumping over to the SEC West, no surprise, Alabama, number one according to Athlon. Do you think that uh, the Crimson Tide are just going to run away with this division this year despite uh, you know some significant losses on the offensive side of the ball? We do. You know, we like Alabama over LSU and, you know, we certainly debated these two teams and and we even talked about Texas A&M as, you know, if with Alabama and LSU losing so much, could a team break through this year? We just don't see it though. We, we like Alabama, especially we've got Alabama's offensive line rated as the best in the country. Najee Harris, Trey Sanders, Brian Robinson, they are loaded at running back. And of course, you know, with the Smith and, and Waddle coming back at receiver, they've got firepower for whichever quarterback starts. Mac Jones looks to me like he's going to be the guy, especially since there wasn't a spring practice. And I thought he played pretty well against Auburn and Michigan. Certainly the interceptions uh, against Auburn are very, are very memorable. But I think the other question mark with Alabama is, can the defense for Alabama get back to the level we're used to seeing under Nick Saban? And I think getting Dylan Moses back in the lineup is huge because he's kind of the quarterback of that defense and getting people lined up. Uh, they, they were so young in the front seven last year that I think having him back is huge. They do have some losses in the secondary. That is a concern. But I just think on paper, this is the best team in the SEC West. I think whether it's Mac Jones or Bryce Young, they can lean on that offensive line, and their defensive front seven should be better this season. So I think even though they've got Georgia and LSU uh, you know, LSU on the road, we like Alabama to be number one in the West this year. Now what does it say about uh, the program Ed Ogeron has built in Baton Rouge? Athlon's number two team in the SEC West lost – record amounts of talent to the NFL draft, yet still number two in the SEC West. Um, how confident are you guys at LSU, you know, rebounding? Well, I wouldn't even want to say rebounding, but just kind of not falling into a crater as, as some people suspect they might. Yeah, I just, I don't see them falling off, you know, drastically. I mean, it, it's hard, it, I guess, to look at it from this perspective. They may have had the greatest one-year season by any team, in college football history. So if they go 10 and two, it looks like they fell off a lot, but really they, that that's a pretty good season considering they lost Joe Burrow and they lose four starters on the offensive line. And, and of course they have some defensive losses to replace, but I think Ed Orgeron has changed the entire culture of the program. It's no longer going to be LSU is going to go back to doing the same things on offense. They've got this high-powered offense in, in place. Jamar Chase, they've got talent at running back. I think they have to feel pretty good about Miles Brennan, especially since they didn't bring in any graduate transfers. So I think LSU has always had good talent. They've always had good players. And we've seen what Coach O has done the last couple of years. So I think 10-2 and two would actually be a good season for LSU. I think they're a step behind Alabama, but I don't think they're going to fall off all that much outside the top 10. Now, Texas A&M number three, Auburn number four, 
Athlon's predicting identical records here, nine and three overall, five and three in the SEC. Thoughts on, you know, you said Texas A&M potential breakout candidate here. How close are these two in your mind? Very close. You know, I, I, we have Auburn at nine and three. Might be a tad optimistic considering they only bring back seven starters and they have such big question marks along the line of scrimmage. They really need Bo Nix to step up this year. And with Chad Morris coming in, I'm curious to see how the breakdown goes between Chad Morris, Gus Malzahn, and Bo Nix. It's a fascinating storyline to watch because if his play takes off, they've got good receivers. Auburn's always had good running backs. But that that element and the offensive line um, remains a big concern for me. When I look at Texas A&M, this is Jimbo Fisher's third year, and it feels like a big year for the program. He's not on the hot seat or anything like that, but by now, the third season in, you expect this program to take a jump if they are. So I'll be curious to see if we if we see that out of A&M. The, the schedule is much more favorable. They've got a lot of pieces back on both sides of the ball, but much like Auburn, they need better play out of their quarterback. Kellen Mond has to be better in the marquee games, the games against top 25 teams. If they can do that, Texas A&M has a shot at top 10, 10 and 2 type season, but it's really close between Texas A&M and Auburn. And you know, Auburn hosts A&M this year, so you know, 11 and 13, the whatever Marge, whoever wins that game probably finishes ahead in the SEC West this year. Now jumping to the state of Mississippi, this is going to be a fascinating rivalry with these two <laughs> new coaches. Athlon's got Ole Miss number five, Mississippi State number six, and I think that's going to be a surprise to some people. But you know, I got to give you guys credit; you do an outstanding work because that's exactly how I have it as well. I think Ole Miss. I really like the the talent that Lane Kiffin has inherited. While in my opinion, I think Mike Leach is an outstanding coach, but I just don't know if the personnel fits him. So what are your thoughts on those two teams, and does it simply come down to whoever wins the Egg Bowl here? Yeah, I think it does. You know, in in the big picture sense, I mean, I I am just so fascinated by the state of Mississippi and football this year because Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin are going to be fun to, to cover and fun to watch this season. So thank you to the state of Mississippi for adding even more intrigue to the SEC. But I think you, know, you mentioned something important, and I think that's coaching because, you know, I think the transition in personnel from Joe Moorhead to Mike Leach is greater than going from Matt Luke, Rich Rodriguez to Lane Kiffin. I think that personnel that Ole Miss has, whether it's Plumlee, you know, Corral, Jerry on Ely, they have some exciting playmakers on offense. And I think the transition will be pretty minimal. Whereas Mississippi State, not having spring practice, they needed that to get KJ Costello and those receivers in sync. So we've got, you know, Ole Miss ahead. The game is in Oxford this year. And also when it comes to crossover play, Ole Miss uh, gets Vanderbilt. And I think that's a pretty important designation when you're trying to figure out you know, who might get to three and five, four and four, you know, that's almost a plus two in Ole Miss's column, um, whereas Mississippi State has to go to Kentucky. Now, of course, dead last in the West here, Arkansas. Poor Arkansas got them with an 0-8 record. I don't know if those fans can handle another 0-8 SEC record, but I don't know about you, Stephen, but I personally, 
I really like the talent on that roster, not across the board, obviously, but I think there's a lot more pieces on that team than people realize. And I think Sam Pittman has really knocked it out of the park with some of his coordinator hires and even hiring a special teams coordinator from Georgia that Scott Fountain I really like. But this is probably another team that's going to be, you know, not having spring football is really going to hurt them. Um, Is there any chance, you know, I'm trying to give the Razorbacks some, some optimism here, any chance that they do win a game or two in the SEC this year? You know, I I share your optimism about Sam Pittman. I think he's pushed all the right buttons so far. I like the coordinator hires, Kendall Bryles, Barry Odom. I think that is maybe one of the better coordinator combinations already in the SEC. But they've lost, you know, they've gone through two winless seasons in SEC play, and the list of concerns are significant. Quarterback, um, offensive line, defensive line that it almost, it's almost going to be a slow climb and a slow build for this program. So I think when you're looking at the schedule this year, you know, at Mississippi State early in the season where both teams are still kind of transitioning and feeling things out, you know, maybe that's a potential upset. Later in the year, they get Ole Miss at home and Missouri in Kansas City. Like those to me seem like the most likely victories. I think Raheem Boyd, the running back at Arkansas, might be one of the most underrated players in the SEC. I like Arkansas's receivers, too. There's just a lot of question marks here. But I think Arkansas will be a better team in November than when they are in September. It's just going to be a slow climb for Sam Pittman in this program. But I think he's going to get them on the right track over the next couple of years. Now, Athlon's got Alabama over Florida in the SEC championship game. You already said Alabama, number one team in the SEC, in your opinion. So how close of a game is this, and uh, what what made you guys lean with Alabama? Is it just pure talent and coaching? Yeah, that's really it, pure talent and coaching. I mean, Florida you know, Florida's interesting because of the way that they're, they break out on defense with the, the standout cornerback tandem and Dan Mullen, Kyle Trask, that combination – um, I don't think it'll be a total blowout, but Alabama would probably be favored, you know, by 10, 13 points or so. I think for, for us looking at Alabama, you know, certainly the secondary, you know, a un- little bit of uncertainty at quarterback over a full season, but we just think they're the better team, more talent. And of course, I think the best coach in college football after just missing the playoff last year for the first time, we think they're kind of be on that revenge tour in 2020 and get back to the playoff this season. Now, I really wanted to ask you about this because Athlon also rates all 14 SEC coaches. I'm not going to go down the entire list here, but the main one, because I said the same thing just about a week ago, and I'm getting raked over the coals here, so I want to get your opinion (laughs) on it. Dan Mullen, number two. Kirby Smart, number three. I got every Georgia fan in the world saying, Dan Mullen can't beat the Gators. How in the world do you have him rated higher than Kirby Smart? I think there's a razor-thin margin between those two, but can you give us some insight into why Athlon rates Dan Mullen just over Kirby Smart? You're right. It is a very small margin between these two coaches. But I think if we're, if we're looking at the entire body of work and we're also saying, if I'm an athletic director at program XYZ, and I see what Dan Mullen did at Mississippi State, knowing how difficult it is to win at Mississippi State, 
and he's 21 and five at Florida. There's almost like a proof of concept. He won at a you know a high level for what the expectation level should be at Mississippi State, and now they've gone to two New Year's Six bowl games, finished in the top ten. I think it's it's tough to weigh accomplishments and also the subjectiveness of a coach ranking. You know, we all kind of have a subjective belief on who we would hire. And that's where this comes into play, too. I mean, if I'm hiring a, a coach and I see Dan Mullen and Kirby Smart neck and neck like this, you know, I look at Dan Mullen and see what he did at Mississippi State and go, yeah, I mean, you know, the fact that it's so difficult to win there, he's won at Florida, I would probably, you know, that's why I would have him over Kirby Smart. It's, it's not a knock on Kirby Smart. He's been, you know, 21 and, and three, you know, over the last couple of years. So, Top 10 finishes, recruiting. I mean, it's it's so small, but I think the reason why we went with Mullen was just, you know, it's sort of proof of concept now, winning at a lower SEC job, winning at a higher SEC job. And if we're just our subjectiveness, we would hire Mullen um, over Kirby Smart. But again, the margins are so small. It's very difficult to sort out two through five in the SEC as far as head coaches go. Now, Athlon also rates... Every coaching hire, not just in the SEC, but in the nation, we've already talked about Lane Kiffin. Athlon's got that as the number two hire of the offseason. We've already talked Mike Leach, number four. So I really wanted to ask you about number 11, Eli Drinkowitz, Missouri head coach. You know, I didn't know a ton about this guy when Missouri hired him. Obviously, knew the name, but just don't follow Appalachian State football. Uh, What are your thoughts on Coach Drinkowitz? And I know it's early, but just you know, the early impression that you've, you've given on just his one year as a head coach and his time there in Columbia? You know, I think he's a little bit of a mystery. He was a good offensive coordinator at Boise State and in, NC State before taking over um, at App State, and they had a great season, 12-1, and won the Sun Belt title. But he inherited a team that was pretty much tailor-made to win right away. They were the Sun Belt champs from the previous year. So, you know, he kind of stepped into a great situation and, you know, they just kind of maintained and excelled at a high level. So I think it's a mystery as to whether or not, you know, whether or not he can build a program over four or five years. But I think as you know, the optimism for Missouri this year should be the offense struggled last year. If Drinkowitz can improve that side of the ball and have it match what they're able to do on defense, which their defense was outstanding statistically last year, you know, this could be a bowl team. You know, I think six, six wins, seven wins, it's, it's very reasonable, but it also requires the quarterback play to stabilize, offensive line. So I, I think it's a good hire, but I think there's also a, a lot to, to sort out with Eli Drinkwitz. Just so many unknowns and being kind of a, a new head coach at a primetime job like this. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think Missouri is also going to be really served well, given the fact that they've kept a lot of those defensive coaches on the other side of the ball. I, I think that's really going to help them next year. Absolutely. Yeah, their defense. I mean, you, watch, you go through the SEC season, and you know, you're looking at the stats throughout the year, and then you, know, you check them at the end of the year, and you're like, oh, wow, holy cow, Missouri's defense was, was really good. And, and it's one of those things that just didn't click during the year, but their defense was fine. And they have enough pieces coming back this year to keep that side uh, among the you know top five to six groups in the league. 
it really comes down to offense. And that's where Eli Drinkowitz can come into play because he's such a sharp mind on that side of the ball. So it's really a good balance. And if he gets Missouri to a bowl game this year, I think that'd be a pretty good first season. All right, Athlon also rates the coordinator hires of the offseason. Number two on the list is the biggest, well, outside of Jamie Newman, this is probably the biggest question mark here in Athens. Todd Munkin, offensive coordinator. You know, I think he really got to credit Kirby Smart for taking a 12-win team and blowing up one side of the ball here, but I think that's what had to be done. Is that part of the reason why Athlon, you know, had Munkin number two, or is it more about his resume coaching in the NFL and college football? It's really a combination of both of those things. I think you said it best there. You know, Kirby Smart realized Georgia had to do something different offensively. They could just they couldn't continue on the path they were, especially after what LSU accomplished last season. Changing the offensive coordinator, new style of play, the offense exploded. Monken's track record as an offensive coordinator and a head coach is very good. You know, uh, Southern Miss has, was not in great shape when he took it over. And then in just a couple years, um, they were near the top of Conference USA. His track record as an offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State was very good, too. It was not only explosive in the passing game, but still very good and very productive on the ground. So I think it's one of those hires that makes sense, and it also fits that Georgia's not going to abandon their running game. It's just going to give them an opportunity to open things up um, in the passing game. So I think Todd Monken's going to work out very well for Georgia, and that Monken-Newman new offensive line combination will be fun to watch and, and see how they develop this year. All right, one last coordinator I wanted to ask you about, Bo Pelini getting hired at LSU. You know, to me, that was an interesting hire at the time, but the more I read about Bo Pelini and and just his, I didn't realize the ties he had there with Orgeron and Pete Carroll and all these guys. I think this could be a really good thing for LSU. Athlon rates that as the number four coordinator hire of the offseason. What are your thoughts on Bo Pelini making his return to Baton Rouge? I think it's another great hire for Ed Orgeron. You know, he has really nailed the coordinator assistant coach uh, hires over the last couple of years. And, you know, going from Dave Aranda to Bo Pelini, it should be a pretty seamless transition. I, they're switching to more of a 4-3 defense uh, under Bo Pelini. And, of course, there's just so much talent at LSU at every level and working with Derek Stingley and bringing in Jabril Cox, the transfer from North Dakota State to, to start at linebacker. They're really loaded at every level. And I think Pelini, track record at Nebraska, uh, he's a fiery guy, but he knows how to put defenses and I, I think work out well for LSU this season and keep that defense near the top of the SEC. All right, final thing I got for you, Stephen. My favorite part probably of the entire Athlon magazine, it's it's typically where I scroll to first. The anonymous coach sections comment. And man, you guys I don't know what you do to these coaches. That's what that's really my main question for you. You get you get these guys liquored up or something because sometimes they're mean as can be to what they're saying to these other teams. How do you get these coaches to open up so much? And um, how much fun is it getting these unfiltered looks at the uh, you know the rest of the SEC? Oh man, it, it is one of my favorite things that we get every year. When when it when that information hits the server, 
it's like the first thing I'm, I, I've got to like run the 40 yard dash to the server <laughs> to get that off there and, you know, get, but you start reading it because it is fascinating. You get a lot of interesting insight into teams. Now, some of it, uh, you know, in, in past years, you know, I, there've been things I disagreed with from other coaches, but at the same time, it just gives you a different perspective because they're in the league, they're watching these teams and they're giving you that coach's perspective. So, man, it is so fun to, to get and to read through every year. And also, you know, it helps us sometimes with predictions. If we're in a tough bind trying to figure out who's two, who's three in the division, if a coach says, you know, something impactful, it might, it might change our prediction. So it's just, it's fun to read. And, and as you can imagine, in the SEC, where a lot of these coaches have coached before and spent time, uh, they can give you some pretty good insight. All right, Stephen, once again, I really appreciate you hopping on, giving us so much of your time. Can you tell the listeners one more time uh, the release date for the magazine and the site where they can order it and get it right now? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. It's been a blast talking about the magazine and, and the SEC. June 2nd is the official on-sale date for the magazine. And it's usually available at all bookstores, grocery stores. But if you want to get it right now, or if you just want to have it mailed to you, athlonsports.com at the very top of the site is a buy your magazine link. And you can go there and click on, you know, college football. We've got the SEC and the national available there. So you can pick your cover out, have it shipped to you, probably get it here now before the June 2nd deadline. So they'll be on newsstands, around the second, but you can go ahead and order it right now online and get it shipped to you. Yeah, and I mean, the college football offseason is just brutal. So thank you again, Stephen, for the work you do and everyone at Athlon getting this magazine out. This is, this is legitimately one of the highlights of the worst time of the year. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that's in the I know it is. <laughs> All right, so I hope everyone enjoyed that interview as much as I enjoyed just Chit-chatting there with Steven. I mean, that guy is an encyclopedia of college football knowledge. He loves to talk some SEC football. And even uh, someone like him who covers the entire nation, he'll tell you the best football's played in the SEC. After finishing up the interview there, he expressed to me how much he enjoys talking SEC football, watching SEC football. So some really outstanding stuff from Steven Lass. And once again, you can follow him on Twitter, at AthlonSteven. He's a must-follow on Twitter. That's pretty much all I got on this episode. Once again, I want to say thanks to Stephen Lassen for joining the show. Before we jump off here, I just wanted to make the note that, uh, you know, we really do appreciate all the feedback and reviews we get from you guys. It means a lot, and it really helps grow the podcast when you do that. So I know you're probably tired of us talking about this, but uh, if you haven't done so now, if you would be so kind to rate us give us a five-star written review on apple Podcasts. that really does help the show grow that's going to do it for this one thanks everyone for tuning in we'll be back with cousin shane on the next episode catch you on the next one